Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning in to AOA Today. Hard to believe it is Thursday, April 21st. Thank you all so much for taking the time to join us today. We have a lot going on on today's show. In segment two, we're going to talk with Ed Elfman. He's the Senior Vice President of Ag and Rural Policy with the American Bankers Association. There are a few pieces of legislation circulating in Congress right now that could have an impact here on rural lending. Ed will bring us an update on those. And then in segment three, Senator Charles Grassley, Iowa senior senator will be with us. Another hearing coming up on the cattle market price transparency and discovery bill. Senator Grassley will give us all the details on that when he joins us later on in the program. And at the end of the show, we're going to talk with Kyle Gilliam. He's with the U.S. Grains Council, serves as their manager of global strategies and trade. And one of the things USGC does is we look at the condition and the quality of the grains that leave America's shores. Well, they just compiled their report on the 2021 crop, and Kyle will share with us that information. I'm curious just how good is is U.S. corn as it's making its way onto the U.S. world scene. But there's another U.S. product that has seen tremendous global demand over the past two or three years, and that is red meat. China captured a lot of headlights this past year with their massive buying of both beef and pork. But a few weeks ago, we had Dan Halstrom from the U.S. Meat Export Federation on the program, and he highlighted the amount of success we've been seeing in Central and in South America moving U.S. red meat products down to those consumers. And joining me today is one of the men helping make sure those products are getting to the consumer. Joining me is Don Mason. He's a project specialist with the U.S. Meat Export Federation based in Columbia. Don, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me on, Mike. I want to learn about the beef and pork business in Colombia. Don, before we get into all of this, could you tell us how does the supply chain work for U.S. red meat moving into Colombia? How does it work down the chain to get to the consumer? Well, it's a, it's as you well know, it's a pretty complicated chain uh, uh, to get meat uh, into foreign countries. But uh, uh, into Colombia, we've got a good process going. We we either ship meat directly from uh, our processing plants here into uh, the major uh, uh, ports uh, of Colombia, uh, or, uh, and a lot of that moves either through uh, our, our southern ports there, through, the, through uh, Houston, or through uh, the East Coast ports, uh, and through Florida. And uh, then to, uh, there are about three major uh, locations in Colombia where that comes in, Buenaventura, Cartagena, and Barranquilla, and a little bit goes in through Santa Marta as well. And when that product is arriving in country, Don, do Colombians have a preference for fresh or frozen meat? Uh, right now, it is it is technically possible and and uh, regulatorily uh, it's possible to ship uh, fresh meat in. But a good share because of because of supply chain issues within Colombia, the the uh, the long distances that meat has to travel and things like that. Uh, actually, most of the meat going in is frozen. That makes sense. Don, as you think about your role in Colombia, helping drive U.S. meat export sales, what are some of the key components you're, you're doing as you talk to these, these butcher shops and these retailers around the country? Yeah, we've, uh, we, we've got meat going into Colombia that goes into further processing. Uh, those tend to be larger companies, uh, tend, to, tend to do a pretty good job, and we can support those folks. Uh, by making sure that any issues they have in ports, uh, any issues they have with the regulatory system and so on, we help them work their way through that. Uh, then we have a large uh, percentage of our meat product going in, especially on the beef side, uh, that goes into uh, the restaurant business, uh, the hotel business, and so on. They tend to have uh, their processes pretty well in place, but there's a big chunk in the middle there uh, that goes in uh, to the country and is destined for retail sales. In the case of... Uh, and in the case of pork, for example, uh, more than half of the, the U.S. pork that goes into Colombia is uh, sold at retail. And it's sold through, uh, certainly some of it is sold through major retailers, uh, you know, the biggies. But uh, a good share of it, we found that uh, over half of that uh, pork going in there for retail is sold through some mid-level importers that uh, they'll, they'll be importing a lot of product, uh, but they, they uh, have their own system of, 
retail sales or butcher shops that they sell that meat through. And that's one of the areas uh, that we decided to focus on a couple years ago to help that middle section out. And that was a pretty timely focus to look at that retail sector because, Don, how did coronavirus and the COVID shutdowns impact the, the food service restaurant hotel demand in Colombia? Yeah, that uh, that uh, well, was shut down almost completely uh, during 2020. Uh, Colombia had one of the lo- longest lockdowns in the world, actually, and uh, their their food service industry was hard hit, and people had to re- go back to you know, doing a lot more cooking at home and so on, and so they were definitely out there uh, uh, looking at that retail. The retail market itself dipped initially during COVID, uh, but then came back strong in 2020, and a lot of that uh, is due to these mid-level Uh, importers that I'm talking about that uh, have their own distribution networks or uh, they contract with distribution networks to get that product out onto the market. And so, Don, as you're thinking about these mid-level importers that are working within with the retail sector, what type of strategies and tools can USMEF provide to these folks that are are now trying to sell U.S. beef or pork in their country? Yep. What we found, uh, what we found are these guys, these, these businesses are usually owned by uh, the importer themselves are a partner, and uh, uh, the owners and general managers, uh, they're, they don't have a lot of personnel, so they don't have people that can uh, take care of, of uh, important issues like quality control or be on top of that all the time, let's say. And so they, they, uh, they need some assistance with that, and we saw an opportunity to step in there and provide that uh, technical assistance and then also marketing expertise expertise so that they could uh, uh, get in there and, and help help out in the handling and sale of U.S. meat products. And how is it going? Don, as you look out to the rest of this summer, does the Colombian economy look like it's going to provide support for these folks to continue buying U.S. red meat? Yes, uh, the Colombian uh, economy is coming back uh, from, from COVID. Uh, much like the rest of the world, uh, they have inflation problems. They have uh, uh, higher inflation that they've had for, for years and years. And so uh, obviously that's an issue. Uh, and the food, food price inflation is, uh, is right up there at the top of the list in terms of uh, problems that they have. However, uh, our, uh, um, on the pork side, our product is super competitive. And uh, so uh, as prices go up, uh, the, you know, our, our, our product can often be priced uh, lower than, than domestic product. And so we're very competitive there. Don, as you think even longer term, some of the strategies you're developing there in Colombia, can they be used across South and Central America? Absolutely. We, uh, and, and some of these strategies are, we shared some of these, uh, uh, we, uh, we, we stole some of our strategies from Mexico, from the folks uh, working in Mexico, and we've shared our, our results also with some of the other folks working around the world. But uh, this is an underserved area, uh, this kind of this mid-range uh, importer, and we're really focusing on it because we know that we can do them a lot of good uh, in terms of upping, uh, improving their practices, improving their processes. Uh, the, the ultimate goal is that we want to, we, we, we know that we provide a, an awesome product when we, we deliver an awesome product to the, to the docks in Colombia. And what we're trying to do is extend that quality control and extend that all the way down to the consumer so that when people buy product from a, from a U.S., uh, from a store that sells U.S. pork or beef, uh, that they're very in that. Yep, that's their preference. That's the key, folks. We'll be back with more AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Less isn't always more. Take managing a fleet, for instance. You need a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. And that's exactly what you get with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Roadmaster XL even adds more life to your fuel system's injectors and injector pumps. That's a lot more than we can say about typical number two diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Mike Rowe here with a gentle reminder that civilization is held together by pipes, wires, and cables. It's true. There are over 5 million miles of gas lines, power lines, fiber optic lines, water lines, and sewer lines all buried beneath your feet. And every 60 seconds, somebody digs into one. Look, if you're thinking about digging around, do yourself a favor and call 811 first just to find out what's down there. Trust me. 
You don't want to find out the hard way. Call or click 811 before you dig and visit safeexcavator.com for more info. I drive my bus in a busy city. That's why road safety is so important to me. I know that I must slow down and be extra careful when I make a wide turn. Buses need more room than cars. Everyone can help keep our roads safe. Next time you're driving, remember to give buses plenty of time and space to finish turning before driving ahead. Let's all plan to share the road safely. Learn how at www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. When it comes to your 2022 seed decisions, don't step over the line. Buy new, professionally produced seed from authorized seed companies and dealers. The Seed Innovation and Protection Alliance membership of 100 companies invest 15% of their sales into product research and development that can take 7 to 16 years, with total costs ranging from $1 million to $140 million for new genetics and or traits. SEPA thanks farmers for buying new seed that not only maximizes yield potential, but also funds the next great seed innovations for U.S. farmers. To anonymously report a seed infringement, call 1-844-SEED-TIP. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here. Thank you for joining us today. Next up, we are going to take a look to Washington, D.C. at what is coming from the world of agricultural and banking finance regulations. Joining me to help discuss this big issue is Ed Elfman. He's a senior vice president for ag and rural policy with the American Bankers Association. Ed, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me on, Mike. Now, I know that we're coming to the end of renewal season. You have been out on the road at a lot of state ag bank meetings. Tell us, what are you hearing from bankers on the ground, Ed? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing we're hearing from folks right now is is renewals are going pretty well overall. Um, It doesn't seem as though people are really holding back or, or nervous in any way about 2022, right? Everyone's talking inputs, where they're going, what some of that looks like. I mean, when you're talking anhydrous ammonia over $1,400 and diesel over $5, it's, it's pretty easy to have that as concern. But everybody seemed to market well going into 22, right? Now, I know some people are going, man, I could have got $8 instead of 5 on some of my corn. But as long as you're ahead on it, you're in a good place. A lot of bankers right now are talking about 23. What does 23 look like? Um, because if these supply chain issues persist, that can be more of an issue. So coming into 22, most of our folks are saying, hey, we're, we're in a decent spot right now. Uh, renewals are happening, as they usually would, probably looking at the books a little tighter than we have in the past, but by no means are we seeing a slowdown in, in debt going out. All right. Well, that is good news. Glad to hear some positivity coming out from farm country. (laughs) And as we take our focus to D.C., there is a piece of legislation and it has been under discussion for some time, and it's called ECORA, the Enhancing Credit Opportunities for Rural America Act. Can you give us the update? Why are bankers focusing on this potential law and what's in there for bank customers here in rural America? Yeah, so with ECORA, the the biggest thing that we're trying to achieve through that piece of legislation is leveling the playing field amongst lenders, right? So for folks who might be lending from different sources or borrowing from different sources, banks are taxed at 21% federally, 
Right. So our competition, the farm credit system, our biggest competition, I should say, they're not taxed at that rate on farm real estate. They're taxed at zero. So right there, I mean, think about you and your neighbor, right? You're next door to each other. You're paying 21% tax. Your neighbor's paying zero. Well, of course, your pricing is going to look different, right? The way you approach everything is going to look different. And what we're finding is from a banking standpoint, our interest rates end up being higher. And what's an interest rate, right? Break it down real simply. It's your cost of risk and your cost to put it together, put a loan together. Well, from where we're standing, from a banking standpoint, Ecora is a way to lower the cost of putting a loan together. If we can lower that cost, we will then be able to lower interest rates for farm real estate. And the way we look at it for farm customers, and, and I, I shouldn't even say just us, I mean, this is, this is going to help farm customers. It's going to lower their interest rates. It's going to create a more competitive lending environment. And frankly, who doesn't want more competition, right? You, as a farmer, you want every lender fighting with each other to lower their rates, lower their rates, lower their rates. Um, but for us, there's the reality of the situation. You can only go so low unless we change something. And Ecora gives us a way to change what we're doing or way, the way the law is set up, I should say. So, Ed, in your conversations with legislators in D.C., I imagine as you present it like you did here, they get the concept of it. What's it look like getting Ecora to the finish line? So we're, we're struggling a little bit to get to the finish line. One, I think a lot of farm customers are not aware of Ecora and what it will mean for them. Uh, it, it's one thing if the bankers show up and say we want this to happen, right? It's another thing, and this is what I, I beg and plead of all the farm customers who are listening to this, uh, if you want lower interest rates, let your members of Congress know. Ask them to get ECORA through so that your local bank can be as competitive as possible, helping you have lower interest rates. And we need we need farmers to be on board with this at the end of the day. That's, that's probably the biggest thing. Like I say, banks walk into, into a member of Congress's office. It's a totally different discussion than, than the actual customer walking in. And I will tell you through aba.com and secureamericanopportunity.org, and, and I'll give you the, that information for your show notes and things like that, but secureamericanopportunity.org, we are actually putting out information for you as a customer to send letters to Congress, what to say on a, on a phone call, things like that. So we're, we're putting together that information to help you as farmers be able to have this conversation and understand what we're trying to achieve here and at the end of the day, how we can help you the most in farm country. Well, let's talk about ECORA from a farmer's perspective, from a borrower's perspective. Ed, if this were to pass and we were to see banks no longer paying that 21% interest rate on interest from ag land loans, would my paperwork have to change at all on the customer side, or would I just see a, a lower rate, ideally? Yeah, so your paperwork would not change at all. Um, that's, that's the beauty of this thing, right? So at the end of the day, from a banking standpoint, the customer standpoint, I should say, nothing's going to change except your interest rate. Um, we, we, back the envelope math, believe it's going to be 50 to 150 basis points in interest. And that all comes down to how you buy your money from the Federal Reserve and all these other things that banks have to do. So we have to give you a little bit of a wide range. But back of the envelope math is 50 to 150 basis points. From a customer standpoint, if you have an existing farm real estate loan, we can actually convert those after ECORA passes into a new lower interest rate. There's, it's, it's actually not that hard from a banking standpoint to do some of those conversions and lower interest rates and all of that, even if you have years left on your, on your loan. So from a customer standpoint, it's great. It really sets it up easily. You'll, you'll wake up one day and be paying you know, maybe $1,200 less in interest a year. And that's a game changer for a lot of people, right? So we really want to get this thing over the finish line because we see a lot of benefits to helping rural America. We want to make sure that there's competition in the marketplace. And frankly, it's a rural survivability thing for us. A lot of our small banks, especially small community banks all over the country, if they don't have some of these land loans in their portfolio, they're, they're going to be struggling in the future because you've got to have a diversified portfolio and it's getting more and more difficult for them to even get into this market, especially as land goes up and all the other things that, that go with it.
Well, yeah, yeah. Every This is a great time as we're looking at potentially interest rates rising. We're looking at land costs at uh, record rates here across rural America. And it's an interesting time to be discussing reducing the tax burden on banks like this. Before we let you go, could you give us one more time the websites that you've set up to encourage folks to learn more and to send some information off? Yeah, secureamericanopportunity.org, right? So um, at that website, you'll find all co- – I mean – We'll encourage people to send letters on any banking issue they want to Capitol Hill. We won't hold it against them. But there is a uh, there's a rural section there that you can find that has Ecora, and then specifically from the farm customer side of the world on Ecora. Copy that. Check that out, folks. If this is an issue that could impact your bottom line, lowering those rates on ag loans through through banks, this would be worth digging into in further detail. But Ed, you mentioned you're willing to take letters on any issues that uh, that you're taking a look at there. What are some of the other things that are percolating right now in the world of ag finance and banking finance regulation? Yeah, so the biggest thing we're watching from from an agricultural perspective is what's the farm bill going to look like, right? Farm bills up in September of 23. Um, Bankers are more involved in the farm bill than I think a lot of folks realize, because at the end of the day, anything that happens in the farm bill will affect us at some point down the chain, right? Um, I use the old example of when we went from direct payments to ARC and PLC. That totally changed how we had to do operating lines, because we were using direct payments as part of the cash flow statement, for example. So we're always paying attention to what's going on in a farm bill, what it'll look like, and then the other side of it for us in that legislation is guaranteed loans and what guaranteed loan programs will look like. For those of you who may have uh, younger folks that are getting involved in agriculture from the beginning farmer side of the world, we're heavily involved right now with uh, USDA trying to figure out how to improve some of the beginning farmer programs, how to make those a little easier to access and use, uh, because we really see a wave of new farmers coming onto the onto the farm and we have to find ways to get that financing out the door to them so whether it's using usda to leverage those programs through farm service agency or through rural development even if you want to do on-farm businesses and things like that we're just trying to make that process easier so that is one thing to keep in the back of your mind the other is i mean there's always something going on in dc and we got to make sure from a reg standpoint that agriculture is acknowledged as a large chunk of the finance side of the world and to make sure that from a farmer standpoint we're not pulling back any credit we're making it as easy as possible for you to get the loans you need and continue on that's that's the key folks we've been talking to ed elf and when we return senator charles grassley joins us here on aoa agriculture of america is brought to you by cenex premium diesel diesel that doesn't mess around Experts agree, using multiple herbicides with alternate modes of action increases your chances of beating resistant weeds. Tough 5EC is a selective contact herbicide for post-emergence control of broadleaf weeds, especially herbicide-resistant strains. Tough 5EC has a synergistic effect with HPPD inhibitors and enhances atrazine with fast results. Tough 5EC is in stock and ready to ship. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5EC or visit BelgiumUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Most folks just stick with the diesel engine oil they know, because why sweat the details? But you don't. You're one of those who'd make the switch, and we're talking to you. Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils give you the smartest oil for the toughest conditions. While the others experience wear and tear, you give complacency a kick in the pants. Senex Maxtron Diesel Engine Oils, oil that runs smart. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Export sales for the week ending April 14th, we saw 34.6 million bushels of old crop corn and 15.3 million bushels of new crops sold. Soybeans, 16.9 million bushels of old and 45.6 of new crop, while wheat, just 1 million bushels of old and 8.8 million bushels of new crop sales on the weekly export sales report. China was the featured buyer of U.S. soybeans again this week. Crude oil price is nearly 2% higher here today. Again, the ag markets are mostly lower. 90% of Ukraine exports moved through its ports on the Black Sea prior to the Russian invasion and blockage of ports. One-third of those shipments went to Europe, while two-thirds went to the Middle East, North Africa, and to Southeast Asia. Many of those countries had a 60- to 90-day food supply prior to the war. 
Threw it exports over land to the west, total less than a tenth of the volume previously seen via the Black Sea, but they are making progress. Now, this is keeping global supplies tight, requiring that traders pay more attention to current dryness in the northern half of Brazil's Safrita Corn Belt, as well as to planting delays in the U.S. Midwest and Northern Plains, along with the intense drought negatively impacting crop conditions in the Plains' hard red winter wheat belt. Also on the weekly export sales for the pork side, we saw a marketing year low that's contributing to some losses right now in the hog sector. We take a look at some numbers. May hogs down 132, 111.15. April feeder cattle up 35, 157.85. April live cattle up 32, 143.40. In grain trade, July corn down 12, 798. July beans down 8, 1709. July Chicago wheat down 12 and a half, 1085. July Kansas City wheat down 15, 1154 and a half. July spring wheat down three and a quarter, 11.69. Crude oil up $1.77 a barrel, 103.96. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org slash caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. There in segment two, we were talking with Ed Elfman. He was the Senior Vice President for Policy and Ag Rural Affairs at the American Bankers Association. And that was a nice setup, talking about things in Washington, D.C., because our next guest is Iowa's Senior Center, Senator Charles Grassley. Senator Grassley, thanks for joining us today. Well, I'm glad to be with you, and sorry I missed you a previous day this week when we were scheduled to be together. That's okay, Senator. I understand you have been very busy running around the state as of late. Tell me, what are you hearing from your constituents there in Iowa? Well, two things come up at almost every meeting. Eight and a half percent inflation, and connected with that, the price of energy and how that's affecting the price of uh, of uh, fertilizers and particularly gas, and for farmers that means diesel in their machinery. And then uh, I've heard about uh, discuss with the fact that the president is not enforcing the law at the border, and we've got uh, five or six thousand people coming in every day, and he's talking about ending Title 42, uh, which keeps people out of the country for health reasons. Uh, and eliminate that May 23rd, and that could go up to 18,000 people a day. Then I also heard more directly related specifically to animal agriculture, how is my uh, cattle bill coming? Well, Senator, let's discuss that first. A few weeks ago, you and the, the senators who have co-sponsored this released an updated version. Could you tell us a little bit about what has changed in that bill as these discussions yeah. have been ongoing? Well, there's been, I'd say, technical changes uh, and probably improving the bill and obviously improving the chances of getting it passed because if Fisher had a different bill than Grassley and we didn't get together, we wouldn't have any chance of getting anything done whatsoever. So uh, we worked out some changes in the bill that I think actually makes it better, improves the chances of getting it passed. But the best news is that uh, Senator Stabenow next Tuesday will hold a hearing on the bill, and that's further than we got 
uh, ever before with this legislation. And also we have nine Republican and nine Democrat co-sponsors and a good chance of getting it out of committee. All right. So that hearing happens next Tuesday, Senator, and then I imagine it's more discussions. And then hopefully, are you still expecting that that this might be a standalone vote at some point in the Senate? I think for sure in the Senate Agriculture Committee. And I'm going by what Senator Stabenow has told me, that she's had an offer from Schumer uh, to move this legislation. So if that's uh, if Schumer's willing to do it, it'll be on the agenda because he decides the agenda for the United States uh, Senate because he's the majority leader and majority leaders always have that uh, option. All right. So the fact that he is truly bipartisan with nine Republicans and nine Democrats is helping it catch their attention. Senator, I wanted to circle back around to the border issues. You mentioned immigration is becoming a hot topic. The removal of this public health order 42, you mentioned that could lead to a surge in people crossing the border. Senator, what does this public health order do? Well, it's a 1944 law and it's pretty simple. It allows the president, that's authority given to him from Congress, uh, so we don't have to deal with it, everything through Congress, that if there's a health problem, he can limit immigration coming into the country. So I don't know how many times since 1944 it's been imposed, but in this instance, Trump did it because of the virus, and then uh, it was continued at least for 15 months in this administration. The president wants to do away with it because uh, he believes in letting more people break our laws coming into this country. You know, you can't come into America without our permission. In fact, we're a very inviting nation. Uh, we uh, have about a million people come to the United States every year illegally. And, and some of them stand in line for a long time in their home country uh, to get permission to come into this country. So nobody can accuse us uh, of being anti-immigrant. It's just that we want people to come come here obeying our laws. Yes, indeed. I hear that a lot, Senator. And I also hear from folks, particularly on the ag side, that labor has been a concern with all the borders closed, particularly those that rely on foreign labor. On the concept or on the topic of immigration, do you envision an immigration bill coming out anytime soon, either in this session or perhaps post-election? Do Republicans have an immigration plan? Uh, Republicans don't, and neither do Democrats. Uh, let's put it this way. Some plan that you can load up 12 million people that are here illegally and get them out of the country. You can see how unrealistic that would be. And then there's some people in the Democratic Party who thinks we ought to make everybody citizens of the United States uh, yesterday. And you can see how unrealistic that is. There's five areas, uh, unskilled workers, skilled workers, professional people like engineers, uh, nurses, doctors, the DACA kids, which technically aren't illegal immigrants because they were brought here by their parents. And uh, then, of course, uh, uh, I I think that that would take care of most of it. Uh, maybe I should see a separate class of agriculture workers, although some of that comes with seasonal employment. But in regard to Midwestern agriculture, we need to make it possible for agriculture workers to come in and work around the, the the year instead of just on a seasonal basis because Midwestern agriculture is a year-round, particularly animal agriculture, year-round function. Right. Those dairy cows are milking every day. That is for sure. Senator, I want to bring us back to the topic that I'm sure you're hearing the most about, which is inflation. These price hikes just continue coming from the Republican side of the table. What plans do you think might be most effective in, in helping mitigate some of these costs on consumers? Well, it's pretty simple. All the bad policies that the president implemented last year, and I'll go through those, uh, he needs to just reverse them. And I think maybe there's some indication he's seeing the impact of his energy policies on the cost of $4 gasoline and uh, $4.75 diesel, in some instances $5 diesel. Anyway, 
the first day in office, he stopped the pipeline, uh, drilling in the United States, increased uh, uh, regulation on fracting, not, uh, encouraging banks not to lend to energy companies. Uh, and then you wonder why gas went up dollar dollar twenty almost immediately, and then another thirty cents because of Ukraine. So then the price of gas goes up. He goes to Saudi Arabia, goes to Venezuela, want to import their dirty oil into our country because they don't have environmental regulations like we do. And so it's just up against his whole policy of of cleaning uh, of eliminating greenhouse gases. So it just doesn't add up, but it is the reason for about 50% of the increase uh, in in inflation of 8.5% and just reverse it. Now, maybe he's doing that by what he did for ethanol, E15, during the summer. He's indicated last week maybe they'll allow some more drilling, uh, get it going, get it done fast, uh, get the show on the road, and the price of gasoline will go down. And he did get that E15 approved year-round on an emergency basis. Senator, he did say that we would need some additional legislation in order to make this permanent. Do you see any E15 year-round legislation making it across the finish line in the Congress this year? If you're telling me the president said we need it year-round, and I hope he said that, uh, then there's a chance of getting a bill through the Congress. But if he's uh, if he's not going to ask for it, there's no way we're going to get E15 year-round, except by putting the pressure on like Ernst and I are doing in our letter to the president, where he finally responded positively uh, to that. But it's just for one year and on an emergency basis. What this ethanol industry needs is a consistent pro-biofuels policy from the federal government, and there's enough unused capacity in our ethanol industry to supply all the uh, stuff that we're not importing from Russia anymore. There is. It's just a matter of finding that will to get us there. Senator, before we let you go, I wanted to talk to you also about just improving rural America's health care. I understand you were a co-sponsor on the Rural Hospital Support Act. Can you tell us a little bit about what you aim to do with that bill? Well, there's uh, there's even a more important bill I think it'd be better for me to discuss with you, and it's a bill that I got through uh, 18 months ago. It's not fully implemented yet, and this is voluntary for our critical access hospitals. But uh, the bed the bed uh, uh, residency in hospitals is about four to five percent. It's a very expensive part of running a hospital it could shut down rural hospitals so if the board of the rural hospital wants to uh, keep everything in the hospital and give up their beds uh, so we can deliver rural health care in rural america they could go to the rural emergency hospital program and uh, take take that approach and maintain most of what they do in health care in their country or in their uh, county or wherever they are and uh, and do that. And I think that's the best way to keep rural health care going in, in rural America. Fantastic, folks. If you're connected with a rural hospital, let them know about that and get them plugged in to the details. Thank you to Senator Charles Grassley for taking the time to talk with us. Senator, always appreciate your insights. Goodbye. And folks, stick with us when AOA returns. We're going to be speaking to Kyle Gilliam of the U.S. Grains Council about just how good is U.S. corn being exported. Stay with us on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. And in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP. 
so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Soil. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the Soil Ship Enterprise to explore soil life, to boldly grow where cover crops have never grown before. Farmer's Log, soil date 31655.4. We've come across some strange but incredibly helpful life forms. We didn't have to travel far to find them, but these organisms have proven invaluable on our trip through the solar system. They help feed us by nourishing and protecting our crops. They've built our soil structure to make it more resilient to the harsh weather we encounter. Our sensors indicate they're even helping us store carbon that plants take out of the atmosphere and put it back into the soil. Guess you can say our living and life-giving soil is the best thing to cling on to. Um, sorry. <laughs> That's soil fleet humor. <laughs> Visit your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today and learn more about the basics and benefits of soil health. This message brought to you by USDA and this radio station. Experts agree, using multiple herbicides with alternate modes of action increases your chances of beating resistant weeds. Tough 5EC is a selective contact herbicide for post-emergence control of broadleaf weeds, especially herbicide-resistant strains. Tough 5EC has a synergistic effect with HPPD inhibitors and enhances atrazine with fast results. Tough 5EC is in stock and ready to ship. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5EC or visit BelgiumUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. I get it, slip it, cuff it, check it twice a day. I get it, slip it, cuff it, check it in the morning and before dinner. I get it, slip it, cuff it, check it, and share it with my doctor. Nearly one in two U.S. adults have high blood pressure. That's why it's important to self-monitor your blood pressure in four easy-to-remember steps. It starts with a monitor. Now that I know my blood pressure numbers, I talked with my doctor. We're getting those numbers down. Get it, slip it, cuff it, check it. Talk to doctor now and share it. Be next to talk to your doctor about your blood pressure numbers. Get down with your blood pressure. Self-monitoring is power. Learn more at manageyourbp.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council, the American Heart Association, and the American Medical Association. In partnership with the Office of Minority Health and Health Resources and Services Administration. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, folks, thanks for tuning in to AOA today. We are going to be talking next about export quality of U.S. feed grains. Joining me will be Kyle Gilliam. He is the manager of global strategies and trade at the U.S. Grains Council. Kyle, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. 
Oh, of course. I'm, I'm excited to be here and, and chat with you a little bit about our export report uh, that we do every year. So that's the thing. This is the 11th export report you guys have put together. It's nearly 100 pages long. I don't think we're going to be able to get into all of it here, Kyle. But tell us what factors are you looking at as you're comparing U.S. grain quality at export? Well, I was, I was hoping I could read all 100 pages over, over the air here for you. but uh, I guess we <laughs> We'll can... get you back on for that at a different time, Kyle. <laughs> We can we can narrow it down to, to a few things. Uh, so so the the main things we look at are, are the grade factors, test weight, BCFM, uh, and and damage. Um, so so there's all those uh, factors that are in the report, and then we look at uh, the chemical composition, so protein, starch, oil, um, and then uh, physical factors such as stress cracks, uh, the percent horniest endosperm. Um, true density, uh, you know, all, all those um, characteristics. And then we actually do some, uh, some testing for mycotoxins, um, aflatoxin, dyne, uh, fumonisin, uh, T2, ocrotoxin A, and um, I'm drawing a blink on what the, the last one is. <laughs> Well, there certainly are a lot of metrics that you guys are watching here, Kyle. On on those metrics, as you look back here over recent history, three, four, five years, what are some of the trends you're seeing play out in the quality of America's export grains? So I think the most important trend is that uh, we have a, a good quality crop year in and year out. Uh, so we actually do, we do this report essentially twice a year. We do a harvest report that comes out in December, and then our export report that comes out, uh, you know, this time of year. Um, and so we're able to kind of compare both those reports uh, across the year as well as the reports, you know, across the last 11 years. And each year, uh, year in and year out, we're, we're providing, you know, good quality corn uh, for our international buyers. Um, I think that's probably the most important trend that we see uh, each year. Absolutely. And as you think about preparing this report and determining what factors you're going to be test for, testing for, rather, how important is input from our buying partners overseas? Are these issues that they're telling you, hey, we want to know how American corn is doing, or is this something you guys are putting together to then help promote U.S. corn? Uh, so it's a little bit of both. Um, you know, I, I don't really know where the discussion started 11 years ago on, you know, let's you know, do this report. Uh, I've only been with the, the council uh, just shy of three years. Um, but I, I do know that it's one of the things that we're the only country that says, hey, here's the quality of our corn um, that you can buy. You know, our, our major exporting competitors, Brazil, Argentina, Ukraine, like they, they don't put out a, a similar report of any fashion. Um, so we're the only ones that do that, and I think that really provides an advantage uh, for U.S. corn um, because they're able to see what 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 they can expect to buy whenever they come to the U.S. Um, but likewise, you know, we get input from them. They, they tell us, you know, we like to see, you know, what what your test weight is. Uh, a lot of our our mycotoxin testing, I, I don't think that we had those in the first couple reports. Um, in fact, when I started, we just did three mycotoxins, uh, aflatoxin, dyne, and fumonisin. And, and in the last uh, couple of years, we've added three more because our international buyers are saying, and this is something we would like, we're very interested in seeing uh, what results you have on these aflatoxins or on these uh, mycotoxins. That makes sense, Kyle. As you're getting requests from partners to, hey, test for this thing, let's let's get some more data on this point. Is it helping then those buyers buy more U.S. corn? Are we seeing this follow through to uh, to actual sales? Yeah, I, I mean, I can't give you any hard numbers on, you know, how many sales are directly related to the report, but I, I do know that it goes a long ways in developing uh, positive relationships with these international buyers. Uh, and, and it gives us a chance. You know, we, we roll these reports out, and um, especially our harvest report, we go to every country and have uh, basically a conference where we present these findings, uh, present, you know, PS&Ds, uh, have producers come and, and share uh, what they know of, of, you know, from their own personal experience, harvest, growing and harvesting uh, the crop. Uh, and so we're going out there and we're, we're seeing these customers face-to-face. -face. It gives us, you know, more opportunities to go out there and talk to them about the benefits of using U.S. corn. 
uh, each year. And so like I said, it's really just a, a great opportunity to build and strengthen those relationships with those buyers uh, so that they know, you know, we've got, we've got good corn here in the U.S., and so when you're looking to buy it, come to us. Uh, That's always a great, a great thing to be able to throw into the market is, hey, here's some additional information about the high quality products you can buy from us. As you look ahead to this next harvest report, Kyle, when does planning for these reports start to take place? Uh, so I, I'm actually already in discussions with our our consulting company who helps us put the the report together. We're already talking about um, what we're going to do for the next report. Uh, the brunt of the work will actually start here in a, a couple months uh, as they really start to outline where we need to uh, sample from. You know, we we our harvest report is roughly 600 samples. Uh, every year, give or take, depending on what we expect for the growing season and the export season. Um, and so we use some, some different analyses to help us determine how many samples and then where to get those samples from so that it best represents what's going to hit the export market. Um, so that, that all starts to take place in, in about June. Um, and then samples, of course, start, start rolling in once uh, harvest starts. Kyle, if we've got listeners who want to dig into the quality of U.S. corn being exported, where can they go to get a copy of the Corn Export Cargo Report? Yeah, it is on the U.S. Grains Council website, grains.org. Uh, we've got, got all of our reports on that website, as well as lots of other information on exports and, and, uh, and, not, and not just corn. You know, we've got information Every on grain and, and barley as well. So. That's right. Folks, check that out. Grains.org. Our thanks to Kyle Gilliam. And tune in tomorrow. We'll be talking NEPA here on AOA. Have a great day, everybody. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Okay, gotta be late. Gotta go, gotta go. Where'd I put... Ah, wallet. Check. And, oh, phone, uh, check. Keys, check. Lunch, check. Checking for the things you need doesn't take long. But what about checking for your safety? Right now, one in every five vehicles on the road has an open safety recall. But it only takes seconds to check for open recalls on your car at checktoprotect.org. All you need is your vehicle identification number or license plate number. Your automaker may not have the right information to notify you about recalls by mail, especially if you recently moved or drive an older or used car. Checktoprotect.org is the quick, easy way to find out if your vehicle has an open safety recall and find the closest dealer who can make the repair for free. Oh, oh, laptop. Check. Before you go, take a minute. Visit Checktoprotect.org. Check to Protect is a program of the National Safety Council.